The film so huge it had to be animated is invading your homes. Jay and Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movie. Available now on Video On Demand, iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Welcome to the show. That was Lisa Brigantino with I Gotta Find Me Something. Uh, that's a new artist uh, that Logan has found. Logan is on the search these days for uh, new music for the show. And I like that. That was great. I like the little harmonies and the little guitar. And it reminds me of Carrie Cooper a little bit, kind of a vibe. Very, very nice. <clears throat> And, you know, we all got to find me something, so it uh, works out nice. So uh, welcome, everyone. It is, uh, God, is it May something or other? May 22nd today. Really? Really? May 22nd. We've done so well. Second show in a row. Sixth show of the year. Uh, it's a miracle, people. It's a freaking miracle we did this two weeks in a row this time. Uh, and, uh, and happy too, because I have a great guest today, but we're not going to get there yet. You know me, I love to tease you that way. Uh, so, 
Um, I did not have time to write an essay this week because, well, I was finishing up uh, my last chapter, which is the chapter I was writing in my book about my mother dying. So you can imagine what my week was like. So, but that is done. That chapter is done. And uh, <laughs> it really is done. So that's wonderful. So instead of an essay, I just wanted to talk about some cool things that I've been enjoying out in the world and just wanted to share with you. I know some of it is that which that you are enjoying probably there or out there in the world too, but maybe there's some things that you don't know about too. Uh, one of which is the, uh, the season's Louie. Uh, show I, I on FX. If you're not watching this show, fuck you. That's all I have to say because it is. Uh, Louis, my new Woody Allen. It's just as simple as that. I want to be him when I grow up. I want to make short films like him. Uh, if you haven't seen this week's episode yet with the violins, I don't know what to say. It's just gorgeous. And I, that was not in any way to take anything away from the uh, episode at all. That's all I have to say though. It's Awesome, beautiful, stunning, funny, human, raw, um, uh, leaves you without answers, just leaves you in the question of it all, which ties in very nicely with what we'll talk about later, uh, but just holds a space for like, wow, it's all so real and fragile and beautiful and ugly, and <laughs> he's just so good at that. I'm just... I'm so happy to be alive to watch that. So check out Louie if you're not. And then the other thing I'm enjoying on the television is uh, Chris Hardwick's show, At Midnight. I don't know if you watch this or not, but it's a game show with comedians. And the strange thing is, is I don't watch a lot of comedy like stand-up. I, I don't. I have never have. I don't know if it's because I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that my dad was a stand-up, but... Um, or, you know, maybe I don't, I don't know what it is. I just, I, I watch enough of it. If someone says, oh, you got to watch such and such a special, it's great. I will sit down and watch it and be very happy that I did, but I just don't normally do that. I watch a little Jon Stewart, a little Colbert. I'll put on the Jimmy Fallon these days every once in a while because he's doing something funny at the beginning. Uh, but at midnight consistently night after night, makes me laugh so hard that I'm like coughing and hacking up a lung. There's some comic on there that I don't know about who's – it's just the format is great. It's all about the internet. It's all fast moving. And of course, there's always a hashtag game. And if you're not on Twitter, if you're not following me on Twitter by now, Kelly underscore Carlin, shame on you because I kick ass at the hashtag games, by the way. I mean, you know, I haven't had my – my hashtag game revealed yet on midnight. But one day I did get in the top 10. They let me know I was in the top 10. I was so excited. Oh my God. I know a couple times they've retweeted me and I act like it's the freaking Nobel Peace Prize or something. I get so excited in bed. I say to Bob, oh my God, midnight just retweeted me, honey. It's, you know, it's like my whole existence is justified now uh, because of hashtag games. But I just want to say before at midnight, I was a hashtag game queen. I came up with one once called the 16th Century Sitcoms. <laughs> I was so damn proud of it. I thought it would be too hard. And then once we got on a roll, we got on a roll. And I kept checking on the hashtag every few weeks. And like two months later, people are still playing this hashtag game. It was hysterical. So uh, so I highly recommend that if you want a good laugh. And uh, Chris is just darling. And I'm always discovering new comics. Uh, so and the other thing I'm watching... 
is not on the TV, but it's on the Netflix. No, it's on the Hulu Plus, which really, really Hulu Plus? Really? I'm paying you money and I have to watch a fucking luminosity ad 20 fucking times during the show. I want to poke my eyes out with the luminosity one. Please stop it. Anyway, uh, I highly, 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 highly recommend the best thing I've ever, ever seen is called The Bridge. And it's not that shitty American FX TNT version, whatever the fuck that was. This is the original Swedish, Danish the bridge with this woman named Saga Norin. She's the main character. She's got Asperger. She's a detective. You will, you will want to send me money. That's how happy you will be when you watch the show. It is brilliant uh, television. It's about a, it starts with on a bridge with a dead body right on the line between the borders of the two countries and a Danish cop and a Swedish cop show up and they both end up working together to solve these serial mil- murders. And it's, some of the most haunting, haunting stuff I've ever seen on television. You know, the people who do Wallander and stuff like that. You know, it's gray skies and it's dark. They're the people who like invented the killing, that show and all of that. Those people. Which brings me to a song that opens and closes this show, which is called Hollow Truth by the Choir of Young Believers, which <laughs> is like so haunting that I have to play it every day uh, because it's sort of like the, the – theme song to my life right now or something. I don't know. Uh, so check that out. And uh, and here's the most important thing I want to share with you today. There is an osprey. <laughs> I'm talking about a bird. Uh, now, I go to Scotland almost every single year, and I'm about to go in like four weeks, four and a half weeks. I'm about to go again to my friend's house in Scotland in Perthshire. And nearby where we go is a lovely nature reserve called the Lock of Lowes, L-O-W-E-S. And at this lock is an osprey nest that has been occupied by the same female osprey for over 20 years. And they didn't even know ospreys lived that long, let alone bred for that long. This lady osprey, and they call her lady, has been pumping out eggs and baby ospreys for something like 22, 23 years now. She's on like her 90th egg. She's sitting on two of them right now and they have a live webcam. So if you, if you need to just put something on the background on your computer while you do your work, I highly recommend going to Lock of Lowe's web, webcam and watching Lady sit on her eggs because any day now, and I'm, it's really like starting three days ago to like the next 10 days, if these eggs are going to hatch, if they're healthy enough, they will hatch and you will get to watch the hatching. You will get to watch the feeding. You will get to watch the fledgling. It's the most beautiful, amazing thing. Uh, you know, if we can't have, um, nature around our homes, we can at least have it in our computers. <laughs> So I highly recommend that. And then um, uh, just a little plug here. Um, Last, not this weekend, but the weekend before, whatever the hell weekend that was, 10 days ago, um, I did Kevin Pollack's chat show with Dana Gould. Uh, He was the guest host. Kevin has never let anyone guest host before, and Dana guest hosted. And according to Dana, I was his first choice. I don't know what the hell that's about. I'm like, okay. But I have to tell you, if you're a fan of my dad's, um, Dana, just both Dana and I, we just, we had a really, really intense, deep conversation about my father and my life with him, but also about his work. And Dana just had some interesting, fascinating insights about it that I'd never even thought of. 
And and we had fun too. And I have to say, I did a pretty good Larry King. The end of Kevin Pollock's show, he has a thing called the Larry King game where he uh, you, you, the, the rules are, number one, do a bad Larry King. So you're off the hook right away. You don't have to try to be good at it. Number two, you have to admit something that La- Larry admits something that he would never tell the world, ex- except in this moment. For, and it's just always something very dirty and horrible. And then he throws it to a caller in some funny named city uh, in the world. And uh, I have to say, I did a pretty good Larry King. So you have to watch the whole show just to find out what my Larry King... Uh, what my confession was and what city I I chose. Uh, so yeah, check that out. I had a blast doing that. And Kevin promised that I could come back when my book comes out next year and come and do the show with him, which will be really fun because I just adore him to bits. Um, he's doing a documentary right now called Comedy Loves Misery. And he's uh, interviewed, you know, Kevin Pollack. He knows everybody. But somehow he asked me to be in it and talk about Uh, because I'm a depth psychologist and the daughter of a comedian to talk about darkness and comedy and the darkness in the comedian psyche and, uh, and a little bit about my dad's process and stuff. So, uh, and he said, I made the cut in three different sections. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so that'll be coming out probably, I don't know, in the fall or in the spring. I don't know when Kevin's going to release that, but that'll be exciting. Um, so that's that. And, um, one more thing that I just wanted to mention that I've haven't fully dug into yet, but like this book we're going to talk about today, uh, with, with Warren, who's come to talk about his book. This is the same kind of thing though. It's something that's, um, awaken, awakens something in me, this part of me that wants to connect to the world and wants to save the world and wants to make a real dent in the world besides just entertaining you fine folks out there. Um, and I've been reading and reading his tweets and reading his, um, his blog posts and stuff. This is a guy named Alain de Bouton. Are you familiar with him? Yes. Uh, man, this guy is a thinker. This guy is, um, he's kind of a Vuja day kind of guy a little bit. Warren and I'll talk a little about that in 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 a few minutes, but, uh, he brings perspective to things, new, fresh perspective to things that, you know, you think we have hashed all these things out already. And he just comes in with this fresh perspective that just instantly blows my mind. My mind expands double to the size and gets me excited about the world and life again, instead of worrying about the oceans coming 20 feet higher. <laughs> which is all I can think about lately. So, um, and one of the things he was, he's, he writes about, um, you know, being a person who, um, you know, being in the entertainment industry and and being a writer and a person who loves the humanities and literature. And, you know, we kind of feel like those of us, unless you're in the entertainment industry, you really have no purpose in the world. They see us, you know, if you're, you know, an academic or you're, um, uh, you know, you teach literature or the classics or even philosophy these days. I mean, philosophy has become so strange and has no application to real life. This guy is changing all of that. And um, and one of the things he talks about, the field of humanities, just in general, the liberal arts education, you know, and he says a lot of these uh, liberal arts um, departments are getting cut by universities because it's all about engineering and science and innovation, and which is all very important. Absolutely. But this guy, Elaine, says, you know, well, it's kind of your own fault because you haven't really 
communicated to the world why humanities are so important. And the thing that Elaine talks about is that humanities are here because they teach us how to live. They teach us how to be humans. That's what the word hum- human is in the word humanities. And, and that we don't see it that way. You know, we don't understand when we're reading literature. I know I'm doing it. I mean, we, this is what we do. We all sit there going, Oh, would I have done that? What, how would I would, well, I don't know if I would have done that in that situation. We're, we're, we're learning. We're trying to find ourselves in our own way. We're trying to find the way in all of these things, philosophy and humanities and social science and, and, um, so it's he's this guy's a big thinker. And so I if you if you don't know who he is, follow him on Twitter. Uh Elaine, it's A L A I N. Then next word is D E and then the third word is B O T T O N. And he's got this thing also called the School of Life. And he writes all these essays. I mean, he's very prolific. He's one of those prolific people. But I think I think if you listen to this podcast, I think you're going to dig this guy. So I just wanted to share all of that. And this was fun getting to share my list of things I'm grooving on right now. I feel like we've just bonded on a deeper level. So excited. All right. So um, we will um, we're going to play another little tune and then we're going to come back. What are we going to play now, Logan? Jacob Jeffries. Band. Oh, the Jacob Jeffries band. Yes, this is their highest bidder song. And we'll be back with Warren. We can't have, but we got away with what we did. Now I'm sticking on my neck like a giraffe. Selling my soul to the highest bidder. Selling my soul to the highest bidder. Selling my soul to I'm not bitter. Selling my soul to the highest bidder. Friends were gone, the night was young and we were left 
Welcome back. This is Kelly Carlin, and you're listening to Waking from the American Dream, but you know that. Uh, and that was the Jacob Jeffries Band, another new find that Logan had uh, discovered out on the interwebs. Uh, and that was song was called Highest Bitter. So today I have a guest, which I'm very excited about. About a year ago, I got an email from a gentleman who was uh, writing a book about questioning about questions and wanted to talk to me about my father about about this subject and I thought well okay I don't know <laughs> and uh so um my guest Warren Berger he uh he's uh he's written other books he wrote a book called Glimmer uh which was the analysis of creative thinking which I need to get that one too and check that out I'm I'm just so into the creative process I love it and Warren's new book Warren Berger's new book is called the official name is A More Beautiful Question, The Power of Inquiry to Spark Breakthrough Ideas. And I'm very excited because not only did my dad make it in the book, but I made it in the book. I was reading one of the back chapters. And I was like, oh, and Kelly Carlin. And I'm like, oh, my God, look, Bob, I've been quoted in a book. It's very exciting. Uh, so uh, and Warren's been uh what he spent about a year searching and questioning and oh, yeah. a couple of years digging yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the importance yeah. of questioning yeah. in the world. Yeah. And as you all know, um, out there, uh, I've, I have my own experience in this world being a life coach and being a therapist and understanding the power of powerful questions. So, uh, I'm very excited and welcome Warren. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so excited you were here. You're here in town, in person. Yeah, great little studio you have here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's our groovy little space. Uh, So I guess my first question (laughs) (laughs) is, um, it seems to be a time in our culture when 
questions are important and questions are big right now. Mm, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, there's something that clearly attracted you to this yeah. subject matter. Right. And so there's something in the air right now. So what was it that attracted you in particular to this subject matter? I think the thing that brought me to it was the innovation part of it. Um, there's a, you know, we're going through this period now of, uh, everything's changing because of technology. And uh, it's it's both a scary time in terms of the, the amount of change, but also a time when people are ha- having these great opportunities and they're inventing every day, they're inventing a new way to do something, you know. And um, what I found was that questioning was at the heart of a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you looked at uh, a lot of the innovations happening right now and you traced back to the origins – Somebody was asking an interesting question hmm. that other people weren't asking at the time. Mm-hmm. So that got me really interested because I tend to write about that. You know, I write about innovation and design yes. and stuff like that. But what was interesting, too, was that as I got into questioning, it led me way beyond that. You know, it, it, it started out being, a, in my mind, it was going to be like a business slash innovation book. But by the time I was done, it was about, you know education and why kids stop questioning. Mm-hmm. And it was about life and, you know, how do you use questioning in your own life, your daily life? And it was about George Carlin. And it was, <laughs> I mean, it was about it, questioning led me in so many directions um, that were all really interesting, you know. So so it became a book that was about a lot of things, which I think questioning is about a lot of things. I mean, it's so central to our to our lives. And, you know, that's that's what I... That's what I started to delve into. Yeah, and and I I love that because there's there's I think you ask it in the, in the introduction. It's like, you know, a question is just some uh, as a form of a sentence. You know, you right. put this little squiggly line yeah, at the exactly. end of it, and it becomes exactly. this kind of a sentence. Yeah, and yet there is a there is a power in the question. There is, yeah, that unleashes something. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. And and so, what is it? What have you found, and what do you know about the power of questions? Like what what, what what does it do to us? Why does yeah, it make these yeah. things happen in our brain? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. Number one, I, I came upon what I thought was a really interesting definition of questioning while I was working on the book. It was by this group that I got ended up getting affiliated with called the Right Question Institute. <laughs> and awesome. they were just totally focused on questions. You know, Clearly, everything, hopefully. Everything to do with questions, particularly in the education world. Uh-huh. But But, you know, beyond that, too. And so they came up with what I thought was a pretty cool definition of, of que- or description of questioning, saying that um, what questioning does is it allows us to organize our thinking around what we don't know. Mm. So when we come up against the unknown or we come up against situations where we really don't know uh, what to do or whatever, we need a tool, we need something to help us keep moving forward and to deal with the uncertainty. And the question is like the tool. It's like the flashlight or the, right. the, the shovel or whatever that helps us sort of dig into the unknown or yeah. shine a flashlight on it and try to figure out what's going on, what's going on here. And I thought that was an interesting kind of way to think about questioning, uh, number one. And the other thing I discovered about questioning is just the the power that a question has on other people mm-hmm. is amazing. It, uh, I by the time I was done with the book, I was convinced and am convinced that questions are more powerful than statements. Yeah, I, which is a kind of counterintuitive thing. Yeah. You know, we all think you make a strong statement and you that's the way you project. You know, power and that's the way you 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 state something right, with authority. Right. I know. You know, I know. And, yeah. You know, 
companies have mission statements. Yeah, you know? that's so the statement is the powerful thing. But what I found, and one of the reasons, by the way, I'm now telling companies they should have a mission question instead of a mission <laughs> statement, is because questions are actually more powerful in a lot of ways than statements. Yeah, they have this. They have this magnetic effect. Mm. They have this. Uh, they, they draw people in. Um, they intr- they're intriguing. They, they sort of trigger something in people's imaginations. Everyone wants to get to the answer. Yeah, It's yeah. a puzzle. You yeah. know, you work on the it. The mind immediately uh, starts yeah, the to mind, be engaged. The mind starts working on the question. Yeah, yeah. So that power of engagement was a real, you know, revelation for me. Mm. I didn't, I sort of took questions for granted in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know? and, and once I realized they had that power, I, I thought about them differently. Yeah. Go, going back to the first piece of that, you know, you're saying the tool yeah. To, to deal with the unknown or uncertainty. I mean, if you really think about it as humans and early man, even, you know, as, as we became more conscious and more aware, we became more conscious and aware of our surroundings right. as, as objects and separate from us. Yeah. And st- a lot of unknown out there, right, you know, exactly. and so yeah. it really makes sense that from an evolutionary point of view, we would yeah. have come up with this, mechanism to start to try to, as the mind does, you know, this pattern seeking mind does, what is this and how does it work and what does it mean? And why is that thing flashing in the sky? And oh, that must be the God thing. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) So I, I just, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, that would make so much sense that it would be an essential evolutionary yeah. tool for man. And particularly important for children. Yeah. Right? It's the tool that enables kids to start to learn. Yeah. And so that's why they use it so much. You know, they're, they're great practitioners. They wield that tool better than anyone, you know. And so I think it's, it's a very interesting when you, when you look at a question that way and you suddenly realize, gee, this is a really important thing. If it's, if it's the tool that's going to help us deal with unknown change, mm-hmm. uh, challenges, problems in our lives, if it's one of the primary tools, we really ought to be using it. You know, we really ought to be yeah. comfortable comfortable with it. Yeah, too, yeah. Know? And really seeing that it's it's going to be essential probably to the species survival, Absolutely. as it always has been. Yeah, yeah. But there's something about how, uh, you know, in the book you talk about kids and you talk about how there's this window of time mm-hmm. where you get the questioners. They right. they become these little questioners. Right. And you mentioned the Louis C.K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> bit where it ends up going into this existential, his, yes, his, nihilistic, his you know, daughter <laughs> takes under the edge. She of, simply wants to know why they can't go outside to play. Right. And, you know, Louis explains, well, because it's raining. Well, why is it raining? And now he has to explain, you know, where does rain come from? <laughs> and, and, clouds, <laughs> and clouds, and how do they form? How they form. And, he, and suddenly he realizes he doesn't know. He doesn't know. And he finally has to say to her, I don't know any more things. Those are all the things I know. And then she says, why? <laughs> because I'm stupid, okay? I'm stupid. And it just goes on. Why? Because I didn't pay attention in school. Why? Because I was high all the time. So, uh, you know... It's it's a very funny bit, but it's actually getting at something pretty important, which is that questioning can reveal uh, a, a child's questioning can reveal in an adult the things they don't know. Yeah, the limitation and yeah. can make them uncomfortable. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so that's kind of one of the first. Sometimes that may be the first little bit of pushback mm-hmm. that kids get on questioning. Yeah, you know, from, yeah. from their parents who are you know 
who just get worn out too. For sometimes. sure. You know, you can only <laughs> take so many questions. So, uh, but the real problem starts not. It's not the parents. It's in school. Yeah. You know, that's when, that's when questioning, as I say, falls off a cliff mm-hmm. for kids. You know, it's, it's from hundreds of questions a day to you know. Very, very few. Yeah, yeah. I was very proud to read the Montessori section because I am a Montessori I see, child. Yeah, Montessori is, uh, <laughs> has, has got it. Has got it. And right. when I read that list of people yeah. who also were Montessori children, you the know, Montessori mafia. Yes, in Silicon Valley. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's yeah. pretty, uh, pretty like. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. I get why my parents put me in that school. Yeah, because because the Montessori schools and certain other schools, yeah. uh, have figured out that you need to encourage that kind of. Um, uh, ownership of learning by kids. Yes. They have to be the ones a lot of times driving it as opposed to someone else driving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world. If they're, if they're the ones asking the questions and, and, you know, following their interests, it's going to make a huge difference in how much they retain and how much, how seriously they take the learning process and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you make the great point in it, which I hadn't really thought about that, how our education system was really set up to create good workers. Yeah. Well, it was created in the industrial age. Yeah. You know? yeah. So the idea was to create obedient uh, workers who knew how to, who knew how to do tasks. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, if you taught them tasks, they would absorb it. They would be able to repeat it back to you and then do it again and again and again. Exactly. So, exactly. And I think uh, Matt, Matt uh, Groening of The Simpsons also <laughs> yes. had a great line that, that in school we learned to sit in straight rows. That's one of the other important things we learned. Yes. But, uh, That'll help us in the cubicle <laughs> years right, ahead. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting that that is part of the design of the, the classic uh, you know, school system that we're using, and there's very little room for questioning in that, in that system. Uh, it tends to be seen as a distraction, mm-hmm. um, something that slows down the lesson. For sure, know? these days. Yeah. I mean, with all of, and it's gotten even worse now with the course standards. Yeah, and, 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 I, and you can't there. blame the teachers yeah. because they yeah. are under pressure to cover so much material and to teach to the test and yep. do all this stuff yep. that for them, you know, they don't have time for the questions, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like uh, if we were going to change this, one of the things we'd have to do is figure out how do we make time? Yeah. For kids to ask questions. It's so important. Yeah. And, and to keep, you know, I mean, you were saying a little while ago that, you know, you've talked to some people about this out in the business world and some people really get it and some people don't. And I think about the ones that don't get it are the ones that, you know, still have this view of like, you know, the business world is yeah. about, is this hierarchical, yeah, the factory. I tell you what to do and yeah. you go and do it. Yeah, it's the factory model. And there's no yeah. ownership of work or right, ownership right. of vision. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know? and, and that's, you know, that that is less and less effective in today's world. Clearly, yeah. I mean, there are still some companies operating that way, but they're they're sort of old-fashioned companies and they're, you know, they're going to, they're in danger. Yeah, you they're know? dinosaurs. And, and they they're will. Dinosaurs. They and will. they really, if yeah. they can't, you know, get with it in terms of looking at you know, that what the really good companies do now is, I mean, they're tapping into the creativity of a lot of people throughout the company. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that, you know, the brain power of a yeah. hundred collective, people, you know, yeah. the collective brain power, yeah. suddenly, you know, your, your intelligence as a company goes way, way up. Yeah. You know? The old model was, you know, you were relying on the intelligence of the top guy and maybe a couple of his lieutenants. You know, and their brain power was the only thing running the company. Right. You know, and now you look at Google or companies like that, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. I exactly. Mean, they're, they, they're tapping into ideas and, 
from all over the, the organization. Yeah, yeah. And it, it seems like they're, you know, in order like for education to shift to a more uh, of an atmosphere that would support, you know, that kind of workforce, the entrepreneurial workforce, yeah. and then to have businesses change and, and, and government too. I mean, right. all of oh, it, yeah. right? Yeah. It's there's there seems to be a need in the the shift of, you know, kind of our personal egos around yes. all of this. <laughs> it's a big, well, there's a lot of ego tied in with the whole subject of questioning. I yeah, mean, it's like, for sure. It's like, you know, one of the things that discourages us from questioning when we're young, in addition to the school system, is our own egos and, and the sort of the cultural pressures around questioning, which is, uh, we think of questioning as a sign of weakness. Yeah, or I don't know as a sign of weakness. I don't know as a sign of weakness. For yeah. sure, yeah. So, or it's not cool. You know, the cool kids, <laughs> the cool kids always know. Right? Yeah. They don't ask, they know. The cynical kid in the yeah, back of the cynical. class, he or knows if, everything. If, or if they don't know, it means they don't care. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's one or the other. Right, right. But they never ask questions. Yeah. So that's a thing too that has to be dealt with, that sort of cultural shift. And I've I've thought about that, you know, I mean, what, maybe one of the things um, I was writing for uh, MindShift, which is an education blog, mm -hmm. and I, I floated this idea that maybe one of the things we have to do is point out to kids that these gadgets they love so much came out of questions. Yeah. You know? And we somehow have to, have to get this idea across that questioning is a, is a very cool thing to do because it leads to great stuff. Yeah. You know, it leads to interesting things that make the world a cooler place, a more fun place, you know? Yeah. And somehow that idea has to, you know, has to come across to kids. Yeah, that is, it's, it is really interesting because I think when you get into the experience of questioning and, you know, especially if you're, you can work with someone who's throwing powerful questions at you and you see the power yeah. of the questions itself, even if, even asking them for yourself, the experience of it is, I mean, it's expanding. You yeah. get energy. You're right. you're you feel connected to everything. It's yep. it's a very uh, expanded transcendental yeah. state it, almost. That's what great questions do to yeah. me. They open up. They open up new possibilities. They yeah. just they sort of open up a universe all of a sudden in a question. You know, so many of the stories in the book were about somebody asking a question. And the little girl, the Polaroid story with the, you know, yes. Edwin Land's daughter asks him, why do we have to wait for the picture? <laughs> He's taking her picture with a, a standard camera. A regular camera, right. He's going to send it out to be developed. It's going to take a few days, he tells her. And, you know, the four-year-old girl, you know. <laughs> asks says, why. Uh, asks why. You know, why do I have to wait for the picture? Why do we have to wait for the picture? Uh -huh. And that question opens up a new world for her father, for mm -hmm. Edwin Land, a brilliant inventor. Yep. But he never thought of this. Yes. I mean, it was an assumption he had yeah. that, yes, you send for, you the, send film, the there, film out. It, it, it takes a certain amount of time. That's the way it is. That's yep. life. You know, she asks that question. Suddenly a new universe opens up for him and he's asking, why do we have to wait? And what if, you know, what if we came at this a different way? Mm -hmm. What if we, what if we said maybe you don't have to wait and maybe you can develop that film right inside the camera and it all happens very, very quickly. So I think this is what I saw time and again in these stories that someone puts a question out there and it changes the way people think. And then they start working on the, on the question and all of a sudden, We've got a new. We've got a different world. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you focus on these these three powerful questions, which is why, what if, and how. Yeah. And the the just the why alone. I I just you know it's it's such a great thing because 
the why is the the inner four year old coming out yeah, and saying why is this the way it is? Right, you absolutely. know, and it's a yeah. real challenge. Yeah. yeah to uh the status quo yeah oh absolutely yeah it is is. just asking why you know is is, it says basically a lot of times it says you know it's questioning whether or not there's a legitimate reason for things to be the way they are yes and you know a lot of people don't like that no they will tell you (laughs) the people in charge don't like that at all (laughs) they'll tell you they'll tell you if you ask them why things are the way they are they'll say because that's the way they are (laughs) and so you know that's the answer to them so, so the why is really challenging, and and I think you know people like your father and mm-hmm. comedians do this, um, innovators do this. They ask why, and they do it. There's there's two things they're doing that are interesting. First, they're noticing something that everyone else is kind of taking for granted, but the other thing they're doing is they're like refusing to accept it. Yes. which I love that. Like yes. that spirit of saying, "I'm not going to settle for this answer." That you have, I, I want to know. You know, this doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. and I won't really want to know why we're doing this this way, or why why people behave this way, or whatever. Yeah. So it's like there's a there's a challenge involved in the why question too, which I love. And um, but I, the reason I sort of focused on why, what if, and how in the book was because I wanted the book to be to talk about questioning in a way that was sort of. Um, not so much philosophical, mm-hmm. where you sort of sit back and ponder deep questions right. and, you know, talk question about your own belly button. Yeah. Question your own <laughs> belly button and, and, you know, sort of debate it endlessly, you know, the way yes. we all did in college, you know, three o'clock in the morning yeah. talking about this, you know, why, why are we here? And, yes. you know. Sure. So I didn't really want it to be a book about that kind of questioning, although I have no problem with that mm-hmm, kind of question, mm-hmm. but um, I wanted it to be a book for people who thought they could use questioning to sort of move forward, yes. to get some kind of forward momentum on something and actually maybe do things, maybe uh, solve problems or uh, get to a, a new, you know, a new, a new innovation or something, you know? So that's why I started to look at when people do use questioning to solve problems, how do they move forward? Right. And I found that they, they start with sort of those why questions, but then they start moving to what if, where they're using their imagination to think of possibilities, different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And then they get into how, which is sort of, you know, you have these questions and ideas. It's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, how do you act on it? How, yeah. do you, how are you going to take the first step? What's yeah. the first thing you're going to do? So I found that if you, if you look at questioning that way in this sort of proactive way, mm-hmm. it's, a good, it's a good model. You know, it, it sort of keeps, it is. keeps you kind of, um, especially in the business world, they, they like that. You know, they want... A kind, the kind of questioning that can help always be moving forward so they don't get trapped. Right. And, you know, cir- the, and circling around. And circling around. Right. Yeah, the right. biggest fear in the business world with questioning is that it's going to paralyze the company and they're going to be, you know, they're just going to be in it like Louis C.K. and his daughter. <laughs> right. you know, they're just going to be in an endless series of whys and the, the nothing's going to get made. Nothing's going to go out the door. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, but it, yeah. And, and I think, you know, the way you break this down, it, it really – you, you see the importance of each aspect of this. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you, you bring up Stephen Tabalowski in mm. your book, who's mm-hmm. been on this show. Oh, has actually. he? He's great. Yeah, he's, he's great. I love amazing him. Amazing guy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. talented. And so smart. So smart. And yep. he, you know, and I love that, you know, you were talking about the five whys, which is just giving yourself even just five drill downs yeah, into the exactly. why of something exactly. and just to see what happens when yeah. you ask those questions. Yes. Yeah. And then he said he uses that just automatically as an, yeah, actor, as an actor just to look into yeah. his character, yeah. you know, well, why, why, why is he doing this? Well, because, well, why was it, you know? Exactly. It's such a... Yeah, what the five whys does is it digs 
beneath the obvious, it keeps trying to dig down to get to the real reason or the real motivation or the real source. Mm-hmm. And it, this came out of Japan and uh, the car industry in Japan, uh, Toyota, mm-hmm. uh, was, were the ones who originated this practice of the five wives. And they, they would use it on the assembly line or throughout the company to try to figure out why something went wrong. Mm. And they, would fi- they found that if you only asked why once, you got the most obvious surface right. answer. So a part comes off the assembly line, it's defective. You ask why once, and maybe the answer is, oh, the worker screwed up. Right. And then the poor guy gets fired, and then that's the <laughs> end, of, end of the story. Right, right. right. But th- what they found is if you say, okay, why did he screw up? Mm-hmm. And then you find out, oh, well, you know, we had a training program that we cut back last year. Why? Well, because, well, the, we wanted to shift into advertising. We wanted to shift some of the budget into advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to get to yes. the real reasons behind the reasons behind the reasons. Right. And then you get to the, sort of the core issue. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it applies not only in business, but I think it applies in uh, life. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know? I, I think so, too. I mean, I, I know when I work with clients, it's, you know, you always ask the, the, the first kind of why question, you know, right. why, why? comedy writing yeah, you know exactly. and then and you as you get down further you get to that thing usually with the person which is the value right. that they hold you exactly. know what is it about yep. them that they want to be with in the world what do they yep. want to experience right. you know, what's important to them right right and certainly in that case too it's like well you know we shifted our budget from training to advertising because at a moment advertising was more important than training exactly <laughs> right 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 yep. so you, yep. you find out what's important yeah. so you why find out can, what the what the value values of the company are or yeah. the person if it's if it's a person you find out what really matters yeah you know yeah so yeah so it's a powerful question just to ask your uh, in your own life you know why 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 seattle why am i moving to seattle right. you know why do exactly. i want to move to seattle exactly. you know and then you yeah. can oh i see well maybe i don't need to actually move to seattle because really what i want is more time to be in nature and <laughs> doesn't have to be there. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. Have, I can mean, be, that, but... that, that's what happens. People don't question enough. Yeah, and then they get on a path or something. You know mm-hmm. that that, and then all of a sudden they're determined to stay on that path. Yes. because they're on it already. Yes, you know. There's a, Einstein said that uh, he always focused more on the question than anything else. Getting the problem and the question right, mm-hmm. because he was afraid if he didn't. He'd be wandering off on the wrong path. He'd he'd be working so hard on something, yes. and it was the wrong question he yeah. was trying to answer. And I think that's true in our lives. You know, we can if we go off on the wrong path, we'll spend a lot of time trying to get to the end of that. You path. could spend five or ten or twenty years in a career path Absolutely. that, in the end, that's, that's not the right path. It yeah. never was. Never was. You just kind of got on it for some reason. Yeah. Who knows? You know, somebody said. Hey, there's a job over here. <laughs> right. Why don't you take this job? All of a sudden, you're on that path, and yeah, you know, yeah, and you've good. never really asked the why question. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's very uh, that that that's great. Um, there's a great story in the book around the why question, which um, uh, th- this company that uses what you call contextual inquiry, which yeah. is going inside of a situation and asking questions inside of it, not just a theoretical, you know. So and and the 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 um, this company was hired to go inside a hospital to discover the right. patient's experience at the hospital. Right, right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. Very interesting. And and what they discovered is that um, the patients, because they're laying in in bed all day, are 
They're looking at the ceiling. Right. So how did the they how did they express that to the to the executives at the hospital, which I just love. Instead of this fancy, shiny PowerPoint kind of a thing, they just basically took a camera and and shot someone right. staring up at a ceiling so, for and, however long yes. and played the video. The boring, awful video <laughs> for the, the hospital executives yeah, to so say, this is what your patients... This is what they're experiencing. This is their experience. Oh, God, and I love so, that. And, and then the, the, uh, the hospital ended up uh, realizing that, hey, we can do things with the ceiling. We can put, uh, we can decorate uh, the ceiling. We can put information for mm-hmm. the patients on mm-hmm. the ceiling. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be staring at the ceiling, let's make it a little more interesting. <laughs> make it entertaining for them. For them. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it shows that a lot of times with questioning too, um, you really have to go out there into the world mm-hmm. and ask your questions. Um, uh, you can't necessarily, if you're sitting at home thinking about certain questions, you won't get as far as you will if you take your questions out into the world and ask people and you know, figure out what's really going on out there. Oh, and, you, you, you think I could think about 10,000 examples of the U.S. government or any yes. government that goes out into the world. They need to do that. To much save more. people or yeah. to feed people or to go to war with people. Yes. And they do not ask those they, questions. They, they don't ever get, go out and talk uh, to the people that are going to be affected by yeah, it. Yeah. And they wonder, and, why isn't this working? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I saw I had an interesting story around that in the book. Um, and it was a, it was a you know a, a great uh, group that was doing this. It wasn't. I, I didn't mean to criticize them at all. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. a criticism. Yeah. But they're they're a nonprofit group, and they were they were trying to um, you know figure out a way to get uh, baby incubators to developing world countries where they really right. needed these these incubators for the babies. So um, their question that they they worked on was you know how can we make sure that these people. In, in various parts of the world that need it, how can we make sure they have incubators? Right. You know, That's that was a, their question. A beautiful question. A beautiful question. But yes. it wasn't. <laughs> because what happened was they went to a lot of trouble to get the incubators, get them shipped out to these places that needed them. And then they discovered later on that the incubators weren't being used. Mm. And what was happening was uh, the, the incubators would break down right away. And no one knew how to fix them. Right. So the question they should have asked was they should have asked, how can we get these incubators out to the places and make sure they use them, make sure people use them? Right. You know, how do we make sure people use these incubators? Because just having them is not enough. They have to use them. Yeah. So when they did go back and revisit it, they, they actually came up with a brilliant solution. They, they figured out through contextual inquiry, uh-huh. you know, they went on the ground there and looked at what's going on in these places. They saw there were a lot of auto mechanics. They said, well... If we made the incubators out of car parts, mm. then if they broke down, the local auto mechanic would be able to fix it and use car parts. And they actually did that. It's so brilliant. <laughs> and it ends up and problem solved. And it's so simple and elegant. Yeah, it is. It's it is. way more elegant. It is. It's, it's, it's great. And, yeah. But now, you know, you could say they should have asked that question differently beforehand. But in a way, they probably had to go out yes. and learn it first firsthand. And so it, it shows sometimes with questions, with a beautiful question, yeah. um, you may start out with a question that seems like a great question. But when you get out in the world and really learn, you're going to discover, oh, wait a minute, this question's not quite right. We have to, yeah. have to tweak it. Yeah. And, and that, and that, you know, that, that 
that's part of the how part of this, you it know, is. which is the, the that you're going to fail. Failure is going to happen. You have to experiment, gonna, yeah, try things. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. it's not going to just go smoothly right the first time. And that's what I think in life too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if if you're if you're applying this kind of questioning to your own life and you're saying, you know, uh, why am I doing this certain thing I'm doing that I'm not happy? What if I try X, Y, or Z? Mm-hmm. And then you have to get to how am I going to do this? And that's where you have to do some experimenting and some trying because there may not be. Uh, it may not be immediately obvious how you should make this change in your life. You may have to take a couple of stabs at it. You know, I could so relate to that part of the book because, I mean, I thought about in my, uh, you know, generally in my 20s and and somewhat in my 30s too, and I'm I'm writing about it right now in my book about being afraid to go out into the world and fail, right. you know, and as and as a writer or an artist or an entertainer or, a, or anything, but just in, in my context – you have to learn your craft. And the only way you can learn your craft is by failing and making mistakes right, and going, absolutely. oh, that's that didn't work. This yeah. works. This works. And and learning to survive failure. Yeah, yeah. And even though I was a Montessori child, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this culture doesn't teach you how – it only teaches you and only wants you to be successful. Right. Exactly. And that's all it holds up yeah. for you in the yeah. world is the, is the versions of success. Right. Not the 20 years that it takes for the overnight sensation to happen. Yeah. Not all the work that Einstein put in. Right. Uh, you you're know, supposed to get an A on the paper the first time. The now. first time and know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And, and there's something also about, you know, I mean, I grew up in a household where there's a lot of smart people and I was always bright. And so there's something about always knowing the right answer and getting it. There's a yeah. thrill to that. Right. Sure. Got very attached. Yeah. Attached to that, so yep. failure and and not knowing how to do something yeah. was very scary yeah. for me. And when I started, really in the last ten years, working on and and working in life coaching and being certified and being in that world more and getting taught the power of failure mm-hmm. and the power of I don't know, that my whole life changed. Yeah. It was such an enormous shift for me because right. now I don't fear trying things anymore exactly you know and uh it's there's a great story in your book about those um they set up a situation where they put five-year-olds versus was it mit grad students or something yeah the marshmallow test (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so uh it was a test that someone uh dreamed up a, a designer somewhere did this uh where he um he sort of he 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 created a test where you had to uh take uh sticks of spaghetti, yes. uncooked sticks of spaghetti, right. and tape, and just using these basic things, you had to build the tallest structure you could, and you put a marshmallow on top, right? right? And you had to do all this within a time limit. So it was a, te- a great test for kids to see if they could, you know, if they could uh, build something quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, he did this test. The guy doing the test did it with you know five year olds and seven year olds or whatever. And then he had an interesting idea. He wanted to do a competition between the five year olds. And Harvard MBA uh, students. <laughs> and you'll probably guess the answer. The, the kindergarten kids totally destroyed Love the, it. the MBA uh, kids. Now, the reason they started to analyze, well, why is that? Why would the kindergarten kids uh, do this better than the Harvard MBAs? And the reason is the kindergarten kids love to experiment and they try things. Mm-hmm. So they would they would right away start trying combinations with mm-hmm. the sticks and the tape. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't work, 
It's okay. They just try another. Try it again. Try, try something different. different. Angle. Yeah. And so uh, they they would be trying all these things within the time limit, and then eventually they'd get something. Mm-hmm. The Harvard MBAs were like paralyzed. <laughs> they have a mission statement. <laughs> yeah. They, well, the first thing they did was the first thing they had to degree was who's in charge here, right, and that took half that took up half their time. And then they were they had to like think about what they were going to do and and debate it and and analyze it yeah. or whatever. And then they would try to they'd come up with a great plan. They'd build it and it would fall apart and. And their time was gone, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. So they didn't. They only had time for one mistake, and they made their mistake. And it was the, the kids were making tons of mistakes right. within that time limit, and they were getting to a better result. Mm. So the lesson there is that kids have this instinctive ability to experiment and try stuff, and you know, quest. It's part of the questioning. Yeah. You know, Gee, yeah. what will this work? What if I try this? You know. So kids have this sort of instinctively. We lose it as we get older. Yeah. And especially if we go to Harvard. For MBA. sure, if we go to Harvard and if we're at that level. <laughs> yeah. The ego is definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, I came across a great question, by the way, for people regarding fear of failure. Mm. Uh, it's a question that's very popular on Silicon Valley now, um, but it's been around for a couple of decades, and it's a great question to ask yourself, which is. Um, what would I attempt to do if I knew I could not fail? Mm-hmm. And when you ask yourself that question, you just temporarily put aside the constraint of failure. Yes. And you allow your imagination to just say, okay, if failure's off the table, then what would I do? Yeah. And it allows you to think about the boldest thing you might do. And that gives you an idea of what you probably should do anyway, yeah. even, if, even if failure is a possibility. Yeah, it know? certainly expands your sense of self. Yeah, it does. Immediately. Yep, yep. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of tweaks on that question that life coaches use oh, yeah? with mm. clients. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, one is which if you woke up in the morning and um, um, you'd had the, the, a magic spell had happened overnight and okay. your whole life was changed when you woke up, what would oh. be different? Mm, very interesting. Yeah, yeah big, yeah. powerful question. Yep, yep. Um, I love that kind of questioning, the what-if questionings that sort of shift reality, yep. right? Sort of take away the real world as we know it and then allow yourself to use your imagination with all those concerns kind of pushed aside. Yeah, you know what's funny? I was reading the what-if section because I live in the what-if. I mean, I, I consider myself a visionary and one of those people that just whoosh, stuff's coming in my mm, head mm-hmm. and I've got all sorts of ideas and mm. – uh, don't get to the how very often. But <laughs> I'd like to talk more about that yeah. in a minute. But right. I love the what if thing. But I was thinking about this because sometimes when I work with clients, it's really, really hard for them to get into the what if mm. mindset. Mm. They, you know, they'll say, but I'll say, if money wasn't an object, right. you know, and they said, but money is an object. I'm right. like, okay, but we're pretending. Yeah, yeah. And you have to, yeah. it's like their five-year-old is yeah. so in the basement in right, their psyche. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you get those kind of people that are completely closed off from the what if and are afraid to play even in that yeah, zone. Exactly. And then you get people like me, who are completely stuck in the what if (laughs) and are afraid to go to the how, are afraid to like do the the, the put the rubber meets the road yeah, part and the yeah. experimenting and the yeah. let's trying because oh my god I'm going to fail and it's going to be scary and, yeah. and I'm going to look bad and I just you know I was just yeah that's kind very of interesting so so what if the- becomes a real stopping point I think in in, in both ways yeah you know for, um and it's interesting because a, a lot of people will ask why questions but that what if middle point is where a lot of people get stopped and yet God and, that's where all the juice is oh yeah yeah well you know the thing the only thing I could think to say to people who are 
you know, uh, hesitant to do it. It's, it's just, you know, it's their, they can't, their practical selves won't let yes. them do it. Yes. So you have to appeal to the practical nature in them, which is to say, Hey, we know that we know this works. Uh, people like Steve Jobs did this. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs w- would oftentimes say to his people, um, what if, what if money were not an object? Mm-hmm. What would we design then? Mm-hmm. How would we design it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, he, he, Steve Jobs was no fool. I mean, he knew money was, was an object. Certainly. He knew money was going to be an issue eventually. Yes. But what he understood was it doesn't have to be an issue right at the second when we're trying to imagine ideas and think of things. Money does, we can put that aside and we can deal with it later. We can deal with the practical stuff later on. And I think that's what these people have to realize is that you, there's always time to be practical. Yes, we'll get to the how. We'll get to it. <laughs> Trust but, me. But put it aside yeah. and allow your imagination to really just kind of roam free and you, you don't know what it's going to discover. You may discover something really great and then you can work on making that practical. Mm-hmm. You can scale it back. If you have to scale it back, you'll scale it back. Mm-hmm. But you'll never get that idea unless you – Give your imagination the freedom. Absolutely. To do it. Yeah. Give yourself permission yes, to play in that zone. Absolutely. And, um, I, yeah, I thought it was interesting the, the, the studies that have been done on the brain and what, you know, actually happens when you let yourself enter that zone of the right. what if, you yeah. know, that, yeah. that how the mind is a pattern seeker already. Yeah. I mean, it just naturally yep. does this what if stuff yes. all day long. It's doing it. And, yeah, absolutely. And and it's doing it a lot when we're sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's doing it when we're daydreaming, when we're walking around. Yeah. Uh, walking around is great. You know, Edwin Land with his Polaroid, going back to the Polaroid yeah. story, right? Um, he, the little girl asks, asks the question, you know, why do we have to wait for the picture? What happens next is Edwin Land takes a really long walk by himself and that's when all these what if mm-hmm. ideas are, well, what if, what if we did this? And what if the camera were done like that? And so it's amazing what our, our, um, our brain can do yeah. when we give it a little bit of freedom, yes. you know, and we give it a little bit of space and we give it a little bit of time to work. Time and, is a big element and, here. And trusting that it's not just the conscious strategic mind right. that's going to solve no, this. No, oftentimes it isn't. It, it isn't yeah, oftentimes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of these great thinkers took daily walks. If yeah. you look at their, yeah. there's a great uh, website called Brain Pickings and they have the oh, yeah. daily habits of, you know, great yeah. minds and yeah. writers over the years and people and philosophers and they show their daily habits and there right. was always like a walking yeah. or yeah. a doodling or yeah. a whatever. I mean, for me, driving in my car up right. the coast and taking, yeah. I do this like Malibu route. Yeah. I need to like yeah, work kind stuff of, it's out. It's kind of repetitive. Yeah. And it's, uh, you're, you're, you're focusing on the yeah. driving enough and it's, yeah. it's there. Yeah. So the other parts of your now, mind. Now going are to a movie on, doesn't work. No. Right. Because the movie will totally take absorb all your, of that your, part. So it has to be yeah. something where you're kind of, a little bit partly absorbed, but partly just, you know, daydreaming. Yeah. And that's when your brain does some great work. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's a, there's reasons for this that I can't explain. I have sort of know them, but because I don't know the brain, uh, expl- you know, the terminology. Yeah, I'm sure well someone's enough. doing the work. But what's going on is that the um, it has to do with the parts of your brain that make connections, uh-huh. the, uh, the dendrites, I believe they're called. Right. And um, in your in your unconscious part of the brain, you have longer branches. Ah. And so when you're accessing the unconscious part of your brain – Connections are being made of things that don't normally go together. Right. Because these long branches are, are touching. And so it's really fascinating to think about that. And so that's why you'll get an idea that's not logical, but yet is brilliant. Yeah. Because the, this connection's been made that your logical brain would not make. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And so you have to really uh, trust that and you have to access that in any way you can. Yeah, there's, there is a trust around it. Um, I know when I started working on my book, 
um, I, you know, there'd be a part of it where I'm like, how am I going to, how do I do this part or how does this work out? Or, you know, it just, there's, it's a puzzle. It's always right. a puzzle piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say to myself, you know what? Even when I'm not working on it, there's some part of my mind that work is on working on it. Your mind and will I, work on that question. It will, and <laughs> yeah. it really does. Yeah. And yeah. and I do trust it now. Yeah. Well, and that's it, what's great about it's questions. amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what, if, if you if you have a problem, you know, it's really good to articulate it to yourself. Even, yes, as a question, uh-huh. and then let your let your mind go to work on it. You right. Know, there's a study that I found uh, came across recently. Unfortunately, I didn't get it in the book because I came across it after I'd finished the book. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Found that you're more likely to get stuff done if you ask it to yourself as a question than if you make a resolution, Ooh, like a New Year's resolution. Let's this. say I want to drink more water because it's healthy. Yes. If I say, I'm going to drink more water, I must drink more water, I shall drink more water, you know, all those statements. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm less likely to do it than if I ask myself, how could I get myself to drink more water? Uh-huh. What are some of the ways I might drink more water? Uh-huh. I put that question out, put it in the back of and my... And don't even answer it. Don't Just even answer it. it. Your brain works on that. It's a puzzle. Yeah. Your brain can't help it. Yeah. And then you'll start getting ideas out of, you know, when you're in the shower, you'll think, hey, you know, if I put water in, uh, if I kept water on the shelf over at this place... <laughs> if I open my mouth right now... Right, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that would work. <laughs> that's the immediate solution. Exactly. Well, you know, as a, uh, one of the things I do with coaching with clients is... Uh, I'll usually end the session with a question for them. Oh, and we call it living. We call it an inquiry. Yeah, that's great. And it's living into the question. I say you, this is not a question to answer. Right. This is a question just to live into live in the it. next week. Yeah, yeah. And it's usually a big, powerful question like yeah. like that. How you know uh, maybe it is exercise, um, you yeah. know, or 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 anything. Or right. how how can I make my day more soulful? You know, right, maybe they're right. trying to find more right. time to connect right. to their depths right. or something. Yeah. Or or you know what does uh, sitting still look like for right, me? Right. You know. Yeah, and these are difficult questions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't answer them on Google. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's like you can't Google that shit, yeah, people. Like, you can't. I mean, and that's what I think. That's a thing where in our culture we've sort of come to think that while any any question can be answered now, we have all this new media you can ask. But really, the hard questions. Yes. You have to live with them. Yeah. I mean, and and you have to work on them over time, and you're gonna. It's a journey. You know, you're gonna step by step answer it, but you're not going to get like an instant answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah. It it makes me think, you know, for all of us as citizens of the world right now, you know, what are, what are some of the big questions that each of us, you know, have for our leaders, for Mm. ourselves, for business, for science, Uh, for our religion, you know, whatever right, right. these institutions are around us. Yeah. And, and what are the problems, you know, there's so many unknowns. It, it's, it's an exciting, it is, really is an exciting time to, to be alive. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. terrifying it's also. Terrifying, but it's also exciting. But, but, you know, I think when I think about the, the, where questioning relates to some of these big problems we have, I mean, we're so polarized now, right? Yes, yes. And, and I think of, I think it, to me, it's like our answers are, are butting up against completely, one another, you know? for sure. And and somehow we have to break that that kind of you know logjam. Yes. And it seems to me questioning could be one of the ways. And you know the the simple fact of if you can question, if you can get yourself to step back and question things, maybe from another perspective. Yes. Question why someone is seeing things differently than you. Um, you know, think about it that way. It, it it kind of maybe could get us away from this idea that 
I have my answer and you have your answer and we can't seem to agree on anything. Yeah. And, And there usually is, you know, there's some core value that we all hold. Right. You know, we we yeah. all want clean air to breathe. Right. right. We all want the planet to be around for our great great grandchildren. Yeah. We all want money in the bank so that yeah. we can have a sense of security and have yeah. a roof over our head and food in our stomach. Yeah. We all want purpose and meaning, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, it's always then the how do we get those things right, right, yeah. that is where it's... But, you know, I think we're even losing sight of those those basic common elements. And mm-hmm. I think maybe we need to go back and ask the question again, what are those common elements? Yeah. Because I think people are so polarized now that they don't even think there are common elements. I, I think you're right, you, you know? know, and, and you know, and there's, there's everyone's evil on the other side of right, the aisle. Exactly, and, yeah. and I used, you know, I being a person who used to practice mindfulness meditation and and studied Buddhist philosophy uh, for a long time now and can really sit in the space of, you know, one of the practices is is being able to sit with your enemy in front of you in your mind and Mm. send them as much loving kindness Mm. as you do your dog or your wife or your mother, you know, and, and working with that kind of energy. And I used to do a powerful exercise where I would have Dick Cheney sitting in front of me, who is not one of my favorite people on earth for the way he does things and some of the behaviors he does. Uh, And yet I – underneath it all, I really believe he wakes up in the morning and wants to make the world a better place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know there are some people that probably don't wake up and have that thought. There might possibly be those people. Yeah. I like to pretend that at least most people are that way. But, you know, he's a man who, yes, he makes a lot of money and he has a lot of power and that's important to him too. But uh, he's got a philosophy. On some level, he thinks that what he's doing is the right thing to do. Absolutely. And so our challenge with the people who totally disagree with that is at least you got to start by understanding why he thinks it's right. Yes. And and, is and there, step into those shoes. Is there any rational uh, stuff going on there in his version of it right. that we, we need to address, you know? And so to me, this whole, th- the questioning thing is so important with, in terms of just empathy, right? I mean, yes. it's like questioning is very connected to empathy and we need so much more of that right now. Yeah. Yeah, to be able to really ask a person, well, well, why do you think that? Right, why do you think that? You know, yep, and then exactly. and then the next why underneath yep, it. And yep, so why yep. do you think that? Right, right. And what right. do you think's going to happen if you believe right. that? And by the way, to ask that in an honest way as yes. opposed to a judgmental way. Yes. You know, a, there's a way you could ask, why do you think that you believe that as if you think the person's <laughs> you crazy? You could be a real asshole about yeah, it. Yes, for sure. Why in the world would you think <laughs> yeah, something like that, exactly. you know? And that of course is not the uh, No, that's not going to work. I tend to say questioning um if a question is not honestly seeking new information mm. i have a problem with that question. oh yeah you know that's i mean beautiful. i think questioning should be that's an honest question you're really seeking knowledge you're not doing you're not asking the question to make someone look foolish or you're right. not asking the question to make it look like you're smart or something like that it's you know honestly seeking knowledge and i think we have to move toward those kinds of questions yeah yeah uh Absolutely. And and one of the things we talk about on this show a lot, because it's called Waking from the American Dream, is uh, the difficulty with finding the time in our lives Mm. to really bring in the practices and the behaviors and the habits that 
do bring more meaning yeah. and fulfillment. Yeah. I, and it's a big issue. <laughs> it is. It's a big issue. Yeah. And it's, and it seems every day to yeah. get harder, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and you, you touch on it in the book, uh, with some people who, you know, and we talk about it here, we, you know, take technology yeah. retreats, you know, yeah, I, disconnect. two or three times a year, yeah. I get off for 10 days, yeah. you know, yeah. and really yeah. disconnect. Yes. And, you know, or some people do it once a week, right. uh, to right. disconnect. Yeah. And, and and so the time to even slow down enough right. to, to believe that we have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to stop today and I'm just going to spend an hour and ask myself some yeah. powerful questions. Yeah. I think it's so important. And I think it's like, I think we're starting to understand now as a culture that there's a problem going on. Uh, which is exciting. <laughs> which is good. Because At least we weren't it's, even you know, asking you have, that. Uh, Ariana Huffington and a lot of people yes. are talking about this yeah. idea that, yeah. you know, we we try you know we're trying to do too much. Yeah. We're trying to balance too many things at the same time, and the technology is a big issue here. Yeah, I mean, and the brain can really only handle so yeah, much. Yeah, we're just too we're too plugged in, you know, yeah. and and it it causes your attention span to just shrink down to nothing, you know. Yep. And it's like so we really need to, especially when we're if we're going to talk about or think about things that are hard or mm-hmm. things that are uh, deep. Yes. You know, as opposed to surfacey stuff, we really need to like step back from this rushed, overly uh, plugged in existence and, you know, say, hey, there has to be a time when you actually think, you know, when yeah. you actually use your brain yeah. to think in a deep way and not in this kind of surfacey way. Yeah. And, you know? and to, to think deeply or to dream. Or to dream. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. you know, my dad had in his last HBO show about the whole thing about kids and he talked about how. You know, they're over, you know, these children are, they're booked for everything. They're yeah. going to play dates oh, and this, yeah. this and that. Crazy. And he says, remember when you could just go out in your backyard with a yeah. stick? Right, right. You know, I mean, that's when you were engaged in a way. And then the stick, you know, we watch Jonathan Winters with a yeah, stick. exactly. And, you know, you watch a man who just Your imagination, yes. the imagination goes to work. The power of it yeah. and that we are not going to solve the hard questions and the difficult Things that we face as a species on this planet without imagination yeah. <laughs> and a hell of a lot because of it. it you know, when you think about it, it may be, it may be, you know, just, um, I'm not being literal about this, but, you know, in a, in a sort of metaphorical sense, you may at some point be having to solve a problem and all you have is a stick. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so, um, yes. you, you, you better have the imagination mm-hmm. that can allow you to figure out, well, what do I do with these limited means? And that's right. where it's interesting where, you know, the kid, who plays with a stick is learning yeah. how do I use my imagination to do something more with this very limited thing. Now, if you, if you give that same child a, a fantastic video game that provides every exp- sensory experience possible, there's not much room to create in there. It's yep. all being created for, for you. you. Yes. Like sort it's of, a passive yeah, reception it's of passive. it. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's, there's, that's an issue too. And questioning is not passive. No. Questioning is very active. It's and, you know, extremely it's, active. And it's, and it's involves imagination. You know, you have to be able to imagine the thing you want to ask about or imagine the situation you want to, you know, you want to explore. So I think it's, it's really, um, you know, there's a big change that has to come, I think, in terms of, the way we schedule our 
ourselves and our kids and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think people are starting to get it. I, I hear enough yes. discussion now. People realize there's a problem. Yeah. You know, there's an addiction that was created. Yep. And uh, I don't know who we blame for that. Steve Jobs, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But, you know, the addiction's there yeah. and, and we need to now, you know, sort of deal with it and say, okay, it was fun for a while. You know, And it's a tool. It's a tool. It's, an, it's an enormously powerful tool. We don't have to give it tool. up. That's the good news. We and don't have to cool give it up. And the cool thing is, I mean, you know, if, if you know, if we really do can Google the quest, yeah. the, the basic right. questions like, right. you know, who was the Queen of England in 1856 or something like that, uh, we don't need those facts in our head anymore. Right. Right. So exactly. we have room for these bigger, Absolutely. deeper questions yeah. yep. And, yep. and this place to play yeah. where, you know, we can, we can really actually connect and, uh, you know, create, I mean, the, the idea of the global mind and mm. sourcing, you know, you talk yeah. about the importance yes. of if you're going to source with a group, make sure your, so, your group is as diverse as possible. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want the, all this, the same type of thinkers yeah. in the room. You want uh, the biologist and you want the tennis player and you, yeah. you want the physicist. And-, oh, and what's so great about technology, I mean, this is the, this is the plus side of it. This is the positive yeah. side. I mean, we've talked about we the negative side. We can access that now. But the positive side is you have access to so much. Yes. So if you do take the time to come up with a great question, you can then take that question and there's a lot of places now to start to get great information. Well, you won't you, get the answer right away, but there's a great places that you can sort of tap into now to get ideas and to get people to help you and to. You well, know. this this great story you tell in the book of this 15 year old kid. Yeah, Jack Andraka. Yeah, 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 who who is asked the question, you know, right, about right. cancer, you right. know, cancer screening. Yeah. yeah. And why do you know why his aunt, was it his aunt or someone yeah, who had, had a relative pan- pancreatic had, cancer, had pancreatic which cancer, usually yeah. once you're diagnosed, it's too late. Right, right. Once you get a symptom for something like that, mm-hmm. it's too late. So we all walk around in terror of that. Yeah. And this kid said, well, why, why is it so, why can't we screen for that earlier? Yeah. Why can't we yeah. do a 15 yeah. year old kid? Yeah. Yeah. And this kid went on to, Asked the question of and, lots of people. Yeah, he did. And, and he, and he also like just took all the information that was out there. Yeah. Because that's what's great. Now there is so much information, but you know, you're not going to get the answer on Google. I mean, that's the important right. thing. You can't Google it. You, could you reach can't Google it. You know, new screening, <laughs> new screening system and Google will give it. But, but what Google can do is it can give you some of the basic information that you can build on and the internet can allow you to connect with some expert over here who might not, in even, India might not or, be in the same country. Yes. It might be some faraway place. Yeah. And they can tell you something. Oh, I looked into that uh, last year and here's what I found out. And suddenly you can pull together all this information. And that's what, that's what this kid did. And yeah. it was amazing. And eventually he developed a radical new, you know, amazing uh, screening system for yeah. pancreatic cancer. So it's, what it shows is that if you... Um, if you are asking these kinds of powerful questions, mm-hmm. it's a better time than ever now to be doing it because yeah. you have these tools that you can tap into. And it's just great. I mean, that is the excitement of this. Yeah. And, and that is the the promise of this right. age. Absolutely. You know, that, Absolutely. I, that if, if, you know, we're faced with feels like intractable th- problems and yet we also are building the tools to, the tools solve, to solve them it. at the very same yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, an interesting thing about the Jack Andraka thing though is that he told me that what he would he would use the internet and all the stuff to get information, but then he would lay on the couch. Yes. <laughs> and and 
he would unplug. He right. would just lay on the couch yes. and his ideas would start to like connect. Yes. Like these, all these little bits of information mm-hmm. that he was gathering from here and there, the connections were happening when, he, as he said, I was chilling out. Right. And so, you know, it, th- that's the really important thing to keep in mind. You know, you have all this information, but you also have your own brain, which works really well sometimes when it's detached mm-hmm. and when you give it time, you give mm-hmm. it time to work on the problem. Yes. To trust that that is part of this process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, oh, this has been so good. Uh, so what is your beautiful question, Warren? My beautiful question. I, I, I decided on that recently because I, I, I thought, you know, I'm telling everybody else to have a beautiful <laughs> question. So, so I probably should, unless I want to be a hypocrite, I probably should have one myself. And it occurred to me that, you know, my beautiful question is this thing I'm working on. And it is, it is, it is how might I encourage more questioning mm. in as many uh, places and, and ways as I can, um, you know, from the business world to the education world, you know. So, so what I, I've done is I've kind of partnered up with this Right Question Institute, this nonprofit group mm-hmm. that's working on schools and how do we get schools to question more. And so I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can with them. And at the same time, I'm trying to talk to a lot of business leaders and business people and say, hey, what can we do to get this idea um, deeper into the business world and mm-hmm. how do we sort of circulate it? So that's my beautiful question. And, and it's very ambitious. You know, it'll take me probably the rest of my life. You know? It's a great question. I mean, I won't into. get the answer. You know, the answer will but come those in. those are the best questions. Yes, the answer will come in stages. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I'll say, oh, okay, that's interesting. And it'll probably shoot off in different directions uh-huh, all the time. Uh-huh. So I think that is, that's the mark of a really great question. You can sort of stay with it. You can follow it. Uh, you can grow with the question, you know. So yeah. I'm very excited about that as uh, as my beautiful question. Yeah, and that's I think that's the most powerful questions are the ones that compel you. Right. Exactly. There's a there's a momentum. Yes. In just having the question having asked, the question. and suddenly yeah. these parts of your body and your mind you get activated. Yes, yes. I had a great. I, I talked. Uh, I got this question from a guy who uh, one of the tech entrepreneurs who who started the firm Dropbox, you know. The, yes, no, we know it well here. So <laughs> we use it often. Drew Houston, and he has he he has the he he says that people should ask themselves, what is my tennis ball? He says if you look at a dog chasing a tennis ball, <laughs> <laughs> he said nothing will distract that dog yeah. from that tennis ball. Yeah. So he said we have to each of us has to find the thing that pulls us. And that is the uh, tennis ball. I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I've started a new tradition uh, on the show here, uh, which I'm, I'm asking all of my guests at the end of the show, uh, which is one of my favorite questions is, if there was a machine, mm-hmm. and this machine was, uh, it had the ability to change people's worldviews when they, mm. and it's like a, it's like a metal detector. It looks like a mm-hmm. metal detector and people mm-hmm. walk through it okay. and it has the power. The minute you walk through it to change the world, your worldview gets changed. Oh, and okay. if you had the power to stick this machine, let's say in every single entrance of every supermarket in America, right, right. what is it that mm. you, how would you program the machine? Hmm. Interesting. To uh, what would be the the process that would happen to the person, yeah. so that when they walked through it, something would be different when they got through Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. So for you, what might just coming off the top of your head, of course. Yeah. Well, I I, I think um, I would want 
uh, two kinds of changes to happen in people. I, I think one is I would want people to become endlessly curious, mm. right? I would want the, the change to happen in their brain whereby uh, they, they never lose that curiosity. And, and in fact, it gets increased um, and it doesn't go away over time and nothing can sort of, nothing can kill it. You right, know? right. So uh, I would like that to happen. But at the same time, I think I would, I would like there to be a, 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 a part that goes with that that allows them to act on on their questions mm. and their curiosity. So they don't just, uh, aren't just sort of always wondering about things or, or always just, you know, mm. um, thinking about things, but they're, they sort of have a, um, a, 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 uh, proactive mm-hmm. part of their, of their brain as well that says, I'm very curious about things. I'm going to learn about them. And then I'm going to try to, uh, experiment and, and change them and improve mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if all of us could come walk through the machine and get that, boy, we'd have a better chance of solving some of the, uh, yeah. problems in the world today hopefully i yeah. don't know yeah that's 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 great i love that i mean it really makes me think about this sense of uh when i went through this leadership program god how long ago was it 7 years now uh one of the things we talked about was that you know the whole concept of leadership is shifting on mm-hmm. the planet right and Absolutely. that we're we all need to be leaders yeah. now yeah and i really feel like your book is a beautiful companion to that because mm. it is a handbook in some way of how to be a leader in the world right. is first to ask the questions of you know what is it that your particular life and how do you particularly ask the question of what is needed now right which right. is a question we were taught you know in this leadership program to ask ourselves absolutely what is needed yeah. now in this moment or in this situation that we find ourselves in yeah. and getting that we are empowered yeah. We are actually empowered in this day and age that we can make a difference yeah. if yeah. we ask that question. It feels like we can't. Yeah. You know, and the way the structures and institutions are set up, there are a lot of roadblocks for some things, but every single story in this book that you wrote undermines that thinking because right. every single person who asked a question mm-hmm. In that you these beautiful stories. I mean, the people who started Netflix, Airbnb, Pandora mm-hmm. Radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, just really interesting, innovative ways of dealing with things. Were were like, well, no one else is doing this. I'm going to try this. Right. Exactly. And yep. now they've handed us tools and applications and things that, yes, have. They're they're not perfect. They haven't right. solved all the problems. Right. They've sh- shifted business models and things like that. And as artists, we're all catching up. And how do we get paid for our stuff now? Yeah. And yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So those questions need yeah, to be they create, asked. They create do, new questions. How does yeah. we as an artist yeah. get they paid do. on Pandora Absolutely. more? You Absolutely. know, <laughs> things they, like that. Yeah. You know, and, but uh, it they empowered themselves to answer these questions. Yeah. And we're so afraid that we're going to fail. That we're not right. going to. We're just going to. Well, well, someone else is going to. Yeah. you know, answer these questions. Right. It's someone else's problem. But you know what? There's no one else. There's no one else, That's people. Right. Yeah. There really isn't yeah. because our leaders aren't even asking these questions. Yeah. No. I mean, we can't even decide if global warming is yeah. happening yeah. or not yet yeah. <laughs> or the reasons for it. And at yeah. this point, does it really matter? Right. The Western ice shelf is about to come off Antarctica, yeah. you know? So 
No, our leaders are afraid to ask questions. They are. Yes. That's a shame. And so it's left to us. <laughs> yes. And so the Tea Party is asking a lot of important questions. Oh. Occupy Wall Street is asking mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. important questions. Uh, atheists are asking important questions. Christians are asking. I mean, we're all have important questions yeah. to ask. Yeah. And our leaders aren't going to answer them. So, um, dear folks out there, dear listeners, it's time. It's time. It's, to, uh, it's time, A, to buy Warren's book. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. A more beautiful question, which I have to tell you is so well written and easy, and it's not gronky, and your brain's not going to explode. But it will I, – I sat – as I was reading it, I have three pages of just questions that I started asking about my life and direction mm. and some things that I want to be doing. Powerful mojo in the book. So everyone, get the book. Go on to Warren's blog. Check out his work. Sit down. Ask yourself some powerful questions. And if you are asking powerful questions about your life, like – um, why isn't there a better baby diaper? Or uh, why do we have to merge on the freeway this right, way? Right, right. Or why do, why does ketchup come in this shape of a bot? Whatever it is, whatever your question is, whatever your tennis ball is, right, right, exactly. <laughs> let it obsess you and 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 ask the deep questions about it, and know that you know what, go and take a, take a risk. You know, ask some what ifs around it, and take even a bigger risk. And start to ask how. How can we change this? How can I make this better? How can we fix this? Uh, because if we all support each other in doing this, we will kick ass out there in the world, people. <laughs> so, Warren, thank you so much for coming. Thank this you. Is it's so really exciting. great to be here. This is a, a very fun conversation. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, everyone out there, you have a great week. Uh, don't know if we're having a show next week. If we do, it'll be an Octagon show. And maybe we'll just ask, maybe the whole show will just be asking questions. We'll just ask mm. big, powerful questions for an hour. I have a panel of people I bring oh, in, okay. comedians Good. that we wow, sit around. Great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so don't know if we're going to do the show for sure next week. Uh, Logan, are you doing any gigs in LA? You're just working on other Not stuff. this week, but in July, uh, Taylor and I will be doing some shows. Oh, good. Yeah. So Taylor, you guys know to follow Taylor and Logan on Twitter. Follow Warren also. You Warren Berger? Uh, it's at Glimmer Guy. At Glimmer Guy. Oh, because right. of the Glimmer book. That's right. Okay. That's right. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know me. I'm at Kelly underscore Carlin on Twitter and come see my f- public Facebook page. I am not going to be traveling or doing anything, uh, but I'm still writing. I'm on chapter 17. I just turned in. I have eight more chapters to go. The book is coming along, uh, but I will be here and hopefully we'll be back on this. And uh, we're going to go off with a song. What are we going to play today? Million by Alan Stone. Alan Stone, one of our favorites here uh, on the podcast. And uh, you guys have a great week and ask some good questions. Moving a million miles a minute. Slow, slow Peace is dangerously close to the limit Slow, slow Don't let time slip away Get loose 
then just learn how to pivot slow slow it's hard to lose fuckery if you don't give it slow This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.